Pastor Ed Taylor gets to the root of the problem in each of our lives. We're living in interesting times like I've never seen before. So much coming our way, trying to influence our thinking. We're overwhelmed with information. And in a weak moment, we do have itching ears. There isn't one person in this room that doesn't have itching ears. There isn't one person that it, maybe you go through under a, the weight of conviction that says, I want to get out from a conviction. I want to stop hearing about it. And you're listening and looking for someone that says, oh, oh, I, I think that sounds better. That sounds better. That appeases my conscience. That, that helps me to get through the day. But it really never solves the root issue. The root issue in my life and the root issue in your life is sin. This is amazing grace. again and welcome to another Abounding Grace. We'll hand things over to Pastor Ed Taylor in a second as we continue to make our way through Jude. In verses 8 through 11, the author provides a detailed description of the characteristics of the apostates that had crept into the church. Jude now draws a parallel between them and three infamous figures in the Old Testament, and that is Cain, Balaam, and Korah. We'll look at each of them today. Here's Pastor Ed with a message framed around the question, which way are you going? The false teachers have a, have a rejection. They, they're fleshly men and women. They, they reject the truth. They defile themselves and others in the flesh. They certainly reject authority. We've seen that through this church many, many, many times. When someone is confronted with what we see or hear, their response is very telling. Will they listen? Will they explain? Do we have it wrong? Or will they get mad, angry, fight? You don't know. Who are you? Who are you to say that? I, you know, I'm just, I'm the God-given authority of this church. That's who I am. In one sense, I'm really nobody. But in another sense, I've been given charge to watch over this flock. That's who I am. And you don't have access or permission to hurt this church. And that may just be a prophetic word to someone checking it out. It's like, well, you know, we, we like to go to larger churches and take advantage of people. And, well, you know, we, we, don't, we pray against you. And we pray that God reveals to you, reveals you to us, I should say. But also, that's a good thing. We pray, we should start praying God reveals you to you. So you can repent. It's so much better to walk in the Spirit and enjoy the relationship with, with the Lord. It's so much better to live in the truth. But you can see when you reject authority, you start speaking evil. Then you start thinking, you know, like Michael the archangel didn't even take the devil straight on when they were fighting over. But when there was an accusation, they just hid in the Lord. But by contrast, these false teachers, when, when they're brought about, when things are brought to them, when questions are brought, they speak evil, whatever they don't know. That's all they know how to do is speak evil. That's all they know how to act is living in evil. And whatever they know, he says, they're like brute beasts. I mean, that's a pretty heavy, they're like untamed beasts. They live on the plane of the animal kingdom. They're not even living like humans. They're not even behaving like humans. 
They're only living by their own appetites. And in this, it says at the end, they corrupt themselves. And notice how he ends it in verse 11. Woe to them. And being Jesus' half-brother, I wonder how many times he heard Jesus say that himself. You can read for yourself in Matthew 25. The whole chapter is filled with woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Jesus, this is the heart of Jude here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the same heart that Jesus has. It is not a good thing to be a false teacher. It's not a good thing to be an apostate. You're not in a great position. And he ends this, Woe to you. And, and notice he attaches this group of false teachers to three evil, rebellious people. Number one, he says, they went in the way of Cain. You notice that in verse 11. They have gone in the way of Cain. Would you turn over to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3 with me? Genesis chapter 4. The way of Cain. If you're taking notes, the way of Cain is the religion of self. The religion of self. And you see in verse 4 of Genesis, or excuse me, verse 3 of Genesis 4, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel brought of the first things of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. But Cain talked to Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field. Cain rose against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The way of Cain is selfish murder. He brought to God of his own doing his own works. He tried to worship God on his own terms and in his own way. And even God shared with him, if you did what was right, if you did it the right way, there's blessing in the right way. Do it the right way. I mean, that's, that, like, for you listening, I want you, whatever it is you're into right now, you're, you, you have a relationship on your heart, you have a desire, you're going for a job interview, just do it the right way. You have conflict with another brother or sister, do it the right way to resolve it. Don't go the way of, you know, I'm going to do, I, I know what mom said, I know what dad said, I know what the church said, I'm going to do it my own way. You're going to go the way of Cain. It's not a good way to go. It makes you angry and frustrated with everyone. It, it gives you this sense of wanting to prove yourself. Everybody's wrong but you, isolating you, causing you to be in a position of very vulnerability and even in a position to unbridled anger. And unbridled anger always leads to murder. And we learn from Jesus, unlike Cain here, Cain physically murdered. We learn from Jesus that murder happens in our hearts all the time. And when murder happens in your heart, you begin to speak evil of those that you have murdered and destroyed. The way of Cain is the religion of self. He had no real care or concern for God, but only himself. And he wanted worship, but he wanted it his way. And that's the way of Cain, these false teachers. Secondly, notice that these false teachers are compared now to have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Again, you can jot it down. We won't go there. But all throughout Numbers chapter 24, 
we learn of Balaam, this would be the religion of greed or enriching yourself. So you have the religion of self. So you can see false teaching, false teachers think about themselves more than they think of you. The exact opposite of the good shepherd, the exact opposite of the shepherd in Psalm 23, the exact opposite of Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says he came to serve and not be served, to give his life a ransom for many. It's the exact opposite of Corinthians, where we learn that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The false teacher is completely in the opposite direction whether it's just simply wanting to prove their point and make you feel like you don't know anything or completely take advantage of you and lead you astray like Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for profit. He took the gift of God and used it in a way to enrich himself. And he wouldn't curse the people of God, but remember he did teach Balak how to make them sin by in mixing them with the women and bringing the judgment of God upon themselves. So he wouldn't curse them. No, no, I'll be very righteous and very holy. But let me tell you how you can destroy them. Introduce the women to them. And they'll go after, bring the women in. They'll commit sexual sin. And then the judgment of God will get them. And thank you for your money. And, and Balaam is the one too that had a little conversation with his donkey, remember? It's like you can imagine that. That's like, man, God wanted him. He, God had him, wanted him to stop. And he resisted all along the way. And then finally notice they're described in their behavior, selfishness, greediness. And then notice they're compared at the end of verse 11. They perished in the rebellion of Korah. Numbers chapter 16 by reference. And this is the false religion of control or again rebellion. Rebellion is declaration of self, of a lack of self-control. You reject, and it all fits, doesn't it? it you reject authority you assume that authority upon yourself. No matter the cost, no matter who gets hurt, no matter what happens, you assume that authority upon yourself. Korah rebelled against God's authority by rebelling against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. The sons of Korah wanted to have control over the people, but not in any way serve them or connect, connect them to God. And that's where Jude is, even in the first century. But that's where we are. We're living in interesting times. We're living in interesting times like I've never seen before. Challenging times as we as pastors are talking about different things and different ways of ministry that we've never had to really think through before. Different ways of applying the word. So much coming our way trying to influence our thinking. We're overwhelmed with information. And in a weak moment, we do have itching ears. There isn't one person in this room that doesn't have itching ears. There isn't one person that it, maybe you go through under a, the weight of conviction that says, I want to get out from a conviction. I want to stop hearing about And you're listening and looking for someone that says, oh, oh, I, I think that sounds better. That sounds better. That appeases my conscience. That, that helps me to get through the day. But it really never solves the root issue. And you Bible students, you know the root issue. The root issue in my life and the root issue in your life is sin. And then you add selfishness to it, rejecting authority. We all go south that, that way. Every pastor that stood in a pulpit that, have, that has rejected and rebelled against God, committed adultery on their wife, stole money from the church, followed the same pattern. Selfishness, greed, rebellion, rejecting authority, taking that authority upon themselves. Every person that's ever apostatized, left, no longer following God, 
no longer caring about God. Even now, you know, there are those that I know that now identify themselves as atheists or live alternative lifestyles or on and on the list goes. They're following the same path. Except at the same time, they call it love. They call it care. It's like, no, this is what's best for me. You know, I'm going to do what's best for me. You do what's best for you. Actually, don't take any, don't either, don't take that, either one of that advice. Don't do what's best for you. I'm not going to do what's best for me. I'm going to choose to follow God. He will tell me. I don't always know what's best for me. And you don't always know what's best for you. For example, if I gave you a, if we did an, uh, a little illustration as you walked in the door and I had somebody at the door hand you a piece of paper and it had seven boxes on it, seven boxes. And the, in those seven boxes, here's the assignment. And I'd give you a couple minutes and I'd say, I want you to fill out the best week of your life. What would be the best week of your life? It's going to start next Monday. So go ahead, write in the box. What do you think the best Monday would be? What do you think the best Tuesday would be? What do you think the best Wednesday all the way through till Sunday? What's the best week of your life? It, wouldn't it be really, really hard for you? Wouldn't it be very, very difficult for you that if in just one of those boxes you had to write, good day, good day, good day, good day, good day, and then one of those boxes, the worst day of my life. That would be very difficult to write. The worst day of my life. Because in our minds, we don't think of the best week of our lives, including the worst day of our lives. But could it? Could the best week of your life include the worst day of your life? Well, according to the Bible, according to the teachings of our Savior, even if all seven days were the worst days of your life, God works all things together for the good. For those that love him, those that are called according to, to his purpose. I, I can go example after example. You know, Joseph, when he's thrown into a ditch, sold by his own brothers. Who would want to experience that? Who would want to experience that? Nobody. I, I wouldn't. But that one event... That one day started a path in his life that he wouldn't know until it happened. That one day, those decisions, those free will, sinful decisions of his brothers started a path that would elevate him to the second in control of the world. And that was his best week because it started him. You could say it was his best week because it started him on a path to fulfill God's high call for his life. And the very brothers that sold him will be the very brothers he forgives right to their face. He says, I don't have anything against you, man. What you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. Genesis 50, 20, the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. So good. You see, we don't always know what's best for our lives. We don't always know how God is going to turn something out or turn it around. We don't always know how it fits in the broader narrative of God using our lives. God wanting to put our lives on display. God wanting to put us in a position or allow us to be put in a position that he will redeem 20 years down the road. We don't like waiting 20 minutes. Who would want to wait for 20 years to see how something... But even then, if we never see 20 years, 40 years down the road, how God is going to use that event... It will come to pass when you are in the presence of the Lord, where the Bible says in 1 John, you will know even as you're known, you'll say, ah, oh, that's it. But if you wrote the seven days, I really 
you know, maybe, maybe one or two of you perhaps might say, stub my toe on Wednesday, had a fight with my friend or something, just to, so you know, you didn't know, you know, I better put something in there. It can't all be good. But see, the best days of our lives and the best weeks of our lives and the best months of our lives and the best years of our lives are in the hands of the Lord. There's no other way around it. We trust the Lord. The antidote to apostasy is rest, abiding in Christ, trusting him with our lives, taking the good and the bad, embracing it, trusting him with our lives. We have all these voices wanting to explain to us what's happening when God is ready to help you understand. We have so much confidence in man. That confidence belongs only in God. I was talking to one of the sisters today where there are just times where calls will come into the church here and they'll say something like, you've got to meet with Ed right away. I've got to talk to Ed right away. He's the only one that can help me. And the first ministry that person needs is to find out very quickly that Ed is not the only one that can help him. And there's a 50-50 chance that Ed can help him at all. If that. One of the first things that needs to be shared with that person is get their eyes back on the Lord. Because now they've set themselves up for a disappointment. If they don't end up talking to me, then they think they're not being helped. But every brother and sister that is a true believer in Christ has the same Holy Spirit that I do. Has the same access to the discerning of spirits. Has the same access to the wisdom of God. Has the same access to the knowledge of God. Has the same Bible. God can use you in many ways much greater than me. But you get in your mind, no, it's got to be man. It's got to be man. It's never man. It's always God. You know, you walk away and reject the faith because you put your hope so much in man or women. And when they let you down, you think, oh, you know, now I'm the church. I hate the church and I, I hate that church. And now I hate God. No, God never let you down. You took your eyes away from him. You started listening. And, you know, you might follow a false teacher for a while. And then you feel this whole condemnation. We've had people come here before where, you know, they've given thousands upon thousands of dollars to a false teacher and then they come in and they feel so bad and they regret it so much and and yeah you know what it was a bad season in your life but I know this you gave us unto the Lord and so just trust the Lord with it all there's nothing you can do to undo it they're not going to give it back it's probably already spent so just trust the Lord you were sincere and genuine and you just got to take say okay Lord I was and you go I lost so many years yeah but you learned some valuable lessons now that you'll never go back because nothing's wasted by God. And Jude is super serious here. Very applicable. When Paul tells Timothy, man, there's going to be people that don't endure sound doctrine. We make, pastors, we make jokes all the time about, you know, sitting through long Bible studies and extra cushion on the chairs. That's not what he's saying. He, he is saying that you need to watch out for your lack of desire for the word of God, especially good teaching. Not some particular pastor. Not enduring Ed's long sermons or whoever your pastor might be. This is true sound doctrine. The kind of doctrine that guides your life when you're not around Ed. <laughs> the kind of doctrine that helps you be a mom at home. The kind of doctrine that keeps you above reproach in our culture. The kind of doctrine that says, and when we get into those seasons where, man, repent, repent, repent. You're, I don't want to repent. It's not my fault. It's their fault. No, it's actually your fault. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. It's not about what they did to you. It's about how you responded to what they did to you. You can't control their behavior, but you can control yours. It's not about them. You're going to waste your life worried about them. 
worrying about her, worried about him. And you're going to find yourself truly lacking intimacy and closeness with the Lord. And it's not their fault. It's your fault. It's my fault when I choose to allow a root of bitterness to go deep into my heart. It's my fault. That's my problem. And everyone that's close to me because I defile everyone around me when I walk in bitterness. You want to know how to walk out the door of a church and apostatize from the faith? You lack the intimacy that comes with trusting the Lord with your life. And you start to listen to all these people that all have an opinion. And, and how do they even have your ear as you're going from person to person, telling your story, telling your story, telling your story, telling your story. Everybody knows your story, but it's a different version every time. Because it just keeps getting worse. And more, the more you tell it, the worse it gets. And the Holy Spirit wants you to submit your life to him tonight. We are not weak and we are not helpless in the spiritual battle for our lives. The battle for our minds, the battle for our allegiance, the battle for our purity. The gifts and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for the casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Able to bring every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You want to know why this is not followed more often? Because it is tiring taking every thought captive. It's like we might take one or two thoughts captive and think, call it a day. But what about when your mind is attacked moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment? I mean, it never ends. You just get weary and tired and you stop fighting the battle. You're not even running to the Lord anymore. Hiding in him. Refuge. That's what the word refuge means. It means to be, to be in a place of peace. It means the idea of being fortressed and protected all go together with refuge. A place of rest and trust that God will take care of it. The weapons of our warfare are not human. They're spiritual. It's not our own methodology. It's not our own ideas. It's not even us winning the battle. It's our surrender to the Lord. When we attempt to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, we will always fail. And it will be painful. And so Jude here, he's not pulling any punches. These are some pretty, woe to you. You're like Cain. You're a murderer, selfish murderer. Woe to you. You're, these false teachers, they're running in the greed of Balaam. They want to take advantage of you financially. Woe to you. You perished in the rebellion of Korah. And those of you that know and read it for yourself, you know, the ground opened up and swallowed them. That's the reward for rebellion. It's like, I haven't seen that happen yet. That's only because God is gracious and he died for the sins of your rebellion and mine. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to draw you near. Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. He's leading a study of Jude right now, and today's message is titled, Which Way Are You Going? Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. Over the past couple of years, discouragement and depression have been on the rise. And maybe that would describe where you're at today. 
We have a book we'd like to recommend to you that can help. It's Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Bill Gem. Pastor Bill recalls the life of Elijah, someone who battled with discouragement and depression too. But God, in his faithfulness, brought him out from under the broom tree of despair. If God did this for Elijah, you can be sure he can do it for you too. Read all about God's rescue plan for discouragement in Struggling Under the Broom Tree. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is listener-supported, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to faith in Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study with Pastor Ed Taylor. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 